us, all right? Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. I'm glad you made it to the house of the Lord this morning. And as we are looking at this scripture here, I began speaking from here a couple of weeks ago as we began to talk about or we were dealing with the topic of prayer. And if you remember, we started talking in the beginning. And even as I read it this morning, I just sensed the hand of the Lord upon this. So I want to I want to read this again for you because I want you to hear this for somebody in this. This is definitely for you. And it is in verse four. It says, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be be, be desolate or be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hebzibah. In your land, Bula, which means the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. And I know that sometimes situations may occur in our lives in which we feel forsaken. And sometimes we go through stuff and we feel like, where is God in all of this? Where, 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 where is God? Did God leave me? Did he walk away from me? You know, where, where, where is I feel forsaken. And not only do you feel forsaken, but, you know, then the devil brings his prophets, right, to confirm to you. You know, where's your God in all this? Uh-huh. I, I, I know I, I'm, I'm not the only one that's been in those moments, right, where people are, well, where's God? If God loves you so much, where is he in all of this? But I just want to encourage you that God wants you to understand, look, the same promises that he gives to Israel here. Israel was going through a difficult time. They were going through some hardship, and they realized, man, it seems like God has left us. And there was some time that God was like, you know what? You all are not obeying me. You're not walking with me. And so I'm stepping back. I'm going to let you experience some of the things that happen happen to those those folks who do not obey who do not walk with me but he doesn't want you to be separated from him forever amen that's the reason why he sent Jesus to come and die in our place so that way we could enter into a relationship through the blood of Jesus whom we sang about this morning. And so as we read these scriptures here, the focus that I want to make is not on those verses. That's for somebody, so please embrace that because not only does he want you to embrace the fact that you're not forsaken, but you're not desolate either, but he wants you to be fruitful. Say fruitful. He wants you to bear much fruit. The Bible says, Jesus says in, in, in John chapter 15, when he talks about himself being the vine and, and, and us being the branches, he talks about the Father being glorified in what? Because you're cute? He's glorified in how this or that or the next thing. No, he makes it real simple. The Father is glorified that we bear much fruit. And so that's what he wants from all of our lives in every area of our lives. And this morning we'll focus on verses 6 and 7 because it says here, this is the portion of the scripture that we started talking about. And it says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You, shall, you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so without question, we are surely living in the last days. We are living in those perilous times that the Apostle Paul warned about and that the Apostle Paul prophesied about when he spoke to Timothy that he said that these days, that are these last days, will precede the coming of the Lord for his church and the outpouring of the wrath of God upon the earth. It is important for us to understand where we are living in prophetic times. It is important for us to realize where we are and that we realize that the days that we are living in are days that are meant to usher in the coming of the Lord. Someone should have said amen right there. 
because that's what every real Christian is looking forward to. We are looking forward to the day that those trumpets sound and we are caught up with him in glory, where we are with him, giving him honor and glory, and we are no longer weeping, we are no longer mourning, we are no longer going through hardship, heartbreak, we are no longer experiencing anything like that. That is what is happening. We are living in the days that are going to usher in that coming, and there is something that is going to happen. For those folks who miss that coming, who miss the sound of that trumpet, and do not make it into glory, they will be left in this earth, and they will experience what is called the very wrath of God. Say the wrath of God. And so we have a choice in this. We can experience God in his glory, in his goodness, and in his mercy, or we can experience God in his wrath, in his judgment, and the harsh part of God that we all don't want to talk about but exist. Hello. Because I, I know we want to just talk about the good, loving God that he is, but he's not. Because I think sometimes we, we, we see God as like some old dude with this long beard and a cane walking around. Oh, I just love everybody. That's how we see God, right? No. That, that is not God. Hello, you know, Father Time? No, 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 no. He is real. He is serious. He is holy and he is righteous. And yes, he is loving. And remember, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the fact of the matter is we are living in those times. And so each of us that are in this place, we will literally take one of two positions. We will either take a passive position or we will take a proactive position. We will either say, well, we're living in the last days. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm going to continue on to live and see what happens. Or we are going to say, wait a second, we're living in these last days and there is something that's got to change. There is something that has got to happen. Therefore, we will either believe that prayer is necessary and effective and you're enjoying the hearing of the word of God in this area of prayer being challenged or you believe that, you know, a prayer doesn't really make a difference. This is the facts. One or two places. Either prayer makes a difference and it's important. Prayer doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't matter. So the question is not this. It, 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 isn't, it isn't are we living in a time that we need to pray. The question really is who is willing to respond to God and pray in faith for his divine intervention based upon the revelation of his mercy. Let me say that again. The question is not do we need to pray. It is who is willing to respond to God and pray in faith for his divine intervention based upon the revelation of his mercy. See, because when we talk about the goodness of God and we talk about the wrath of God, we speak about these two things that are polar opposites in the character of God. One is over here, his goodness, his love, his mercy. The other one is over here, which is his wrath and, and, and his power and his might and the things we don't want to talk about. But somewhere in between there, there is this thing called mercy. And we've got to understand that God in his goodness and in his love does not will to pour out his wrath upon any human being. Did you hear what I just said? He doesn't will that anyone should perish. He doesn't will that any should go to hell. He doesn't want to. He, he's not up there saying, well, I'm just going to send them to hell just because I want to, I want to do that. That, that, that. that isn't the heart of the Father. If that was the case, he would not have sent Jesus. Amen? He sends Jesus to experience the wrath of God for humanity. That way men and women can be saved from their sin and delivered from the wrath of God into the righteousness of God and experience the blessing and intimate relationship with God. That is the heart of God. That is what God the Father desires. That's the reason he sent his son. So that way we would not have to experience that. And so based upon that revelation, because that is a revelation of his mercy, when you are looking at the cross, you get the greatest picture of God's mercy towards us 
The greatest revelation of God's mercy toward us is that. Therefore, when we understand and we are like, wow, God has shown himself merciful. God has demonstrated this mercy. He's, he sent his son to die. Then we should be moved to say, wait a second, I'm not going to take this passive position, but I'm going to take a proactive position. And the first place that I begin to be proactive and the most important place is in this place of prayer. I said this when I began this message, and it is that God is not looking to convince us to pray. God is looking to convert us while we're in prayer. See, because some of us are waiting to be convinced. I need to pray more. Listen, we're beyond that. Hello. The facts are the facts. We need to pray more. That, we're not trying to convince you of that. We're trying to show you what God's purposes are. Some folks are waiting for God to do that. God doesn't have time for that. God is sending out a call to those who are going to respond. Who is going to become that intercessor? Who is going to become that person of prayer? Who is going to become that vessel? Who is it? And that person is going to be the one who in prayer is going to be converted and transformed into the man or woman of God that is going to be used mightily by God in these last days. See, I love, I was listening, I, I, we started, for those of you who were there on Wednesday night um, a couple of weeks ago, we began the, 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 way, the way of the master. And it was, it was pretty awesome because they were talking, they were, they were giving some quotes, some pretty powerful quotes about those who pray for revival. And he was talking about, you know, we, we pray for revival and we're asking God to move and we're asking God to move, but we do not want to participate with God. So here's what we want to do. We want to lock ourselves up into a prayer closet or wherever, prayer circle, prayer meeting, whatever we want and we want to cry out to God, God, move, God, move, God, move. And God is saying, through who, through who, through who? I, I, I'm willing to move. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to do something. But who am I going to do it through? We are going to be in prayer when we are really crying out and really praying for that revival, really praying for God to do something. We are going to become vessels of revival. It's the same way that Jesus said. He said to pray the Lord of the harvest. And this is one of the quotes that they gave in the curriculum. To pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field. In other words, the harvest is there. God's ability to bring souls to him is there. But are there people to work with the harvest? That's you and that's me, us being willing to be available to God, to step out of our comfort zone and to step out of the place where we have been and now moving forward into a place where we come to that higher calling, you know, that next level that we always talk about. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, we're going to another level. What does that mean? We're we, 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 we moving to the next. What, what, what does that mean? I mean we're going to start walking on clouds. Is that what it means? I mean, really, when, when we're talking about, oh, I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to another level in God, what is that? What that really should mean is that I am pursuing God harder. I am representing God more boldly. I am obeying God more, more, more consistently. I am walking with him, and I am stepping out in faith in my life in areas that I wouldn't step out in before. I was looking through the message that I preached, and I looked at, the, like, the first message I preached in 2009 and talked about how we have to be the ones that are stepping out in faith faith in our evangelism, stepping out in faith in our prayer time, stepping out in faith in our obedience in all of these different areas. That's what it means to go to another level in God. And so the last message, I don't know if you realize this, this is the last Sunday of 2010 that we'll be together. Last Sunday, right? So I figured, you know, it was two years ago I started this. I'm going to go ahead and say this right here in this message. Amen. Glory to God. 
God is still calling his people to the next level. He's still calling his people higher in him. And he begins to call us, and, we, and he began dealing with us in this area of prayer. And so the first thing, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to run through this really quickly so that way you, can, you and I can be on the same page and we can move to our second point here. But the first point is this, and repeat this after me. Say, God has chosen a manner in which he will move in the earth. That manner is prayer. He chose this manner. He chose this vehicle. I didn't choose the vehicle. You didn't choose the vehicle. Some theologian somewhere didn't choose the vehicle. Some scholar didn't choose the vehicle and make it up. No, God Almighty himself chose this vehicle through which he would move in the earth. And so when we look at the scriptures, we find something. And remember, the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, you can write it down. You can look there if you like. But here's what the scripture teaches us. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Right? customary of the teachers of those days when you had disciples taught them to pray showed them how they were supposed to pray same thing we're supposed to do in the church today we're supposed to teach people how to pray we teach them by example we show them how to pray we give them outlines we have the scriptures we show them how they are to pray right Jesus giving his disciples an example to pray what does he say to them he says to them clearly he says when you pray you're supposed to pray like this our father is in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come right Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pause right there for a moment. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why am I asking for something that's already done in the heavens? Why, why do I even have to be involved in that? Why does it even matter? Remember the title of the message? Prayer matters. That's why. Because it is an important piece. God doesn't want, he, his will is right there in the heavens. It's very clear what his will is in the word of God. See it clearly what his will is. But he still says, Jesus, now mind you, this is not Jason. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray. He says, ask my father, ask him for his will that is in the heavens to be done in the earth. Pretty important for me, pretty important words. Jesus is communicating and he's saying prayer is vital to the will of God being manifested in the earth. So that would mean to me that if I'm not praying that, then I'm not going to see the fullness of his will manifested in the earth. Amen? That's what this means here. If I'm not praying, if I'm not talking to God, how am I going to see his will be done? He wants me to ask. He wants me to commune with him. And then, you know, we went through the scriptures because we didn't want to just give you just one scripture and just a couple of things there. No, we wanted to look at some examples because the Bible doesn't only give us admonitions to pray. It doesn't only give us commands to pray, but it also gives us great examples of how God chooses prayer as the vehicle to move in the earth. And remember, we went to the book of Genesis. We started there because that's the book of beginnings. So we looked at Abraham in Genesis, I believe, chapter 20. And when he was talking to Abimelech, you remember Abimelech? He got, you know, they, 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 they weren't going to be, their children, their wives weren't going to be able to give birth to kids. You remember that story there? And Abimelech has this revelation. He takes Sarah as his wife. He doesn't sleep with her or anything like that. They come into this, and, or, or Abimelech is sleeping, has a, has a dream. Remember remember that? Yeah, I know, I know y'all going to remember the dream. For those of you that were here, remember that dream? That was what we didn't want to hear. You a dead man? Remember that? that, that, that that's what Abimelech heard. He heard, you, you, you're a dead man. <laughs> like, no, I, I don't want that vision. I, I want a vision of glory. I want a vision of grandeur. I want a vision of all kind of stuff. I don't want to hear God tell me, you are a dead man. That's, that, that, that's scary. Hello, somebody. Abimelech repents, and it would seem like it's good enough. Abimelech prayed for himself. Abimelech talked to God, and God was like, yes, you haven't done this. I didn't allow you to do that, so on and so forth. goes through the whole thing, and yet and still, he tells him, but Abraham's a prophet, so I want you to have him pray for you. And then Abraham prays, and then it's like the switch turns on, and now the blessing, and now they're able to have children because of what? Because of prayer. 
So we see the first example, God puts emphasis on prayer. We continued on. We saw Moses in chapter 32 of the book of Exodus. He's up in the mountain with God, with God getting the Ten Commandments. As he's up there, God hears the people making all kind of noise. He tells Moses, move out of my way. I'm going to kill these people. They're worshiping false gods. I was good to them, brought them out of the land of bondage, brought them into, showed them all of these wonderful things, gave them manna, gave them all the things they need, gave them water from a rock, and they're still worshiping other gods. I'm going to kill them. What does Moses do? Moses begins to talk to God. He begins to pray. He begins to intercede and changes. And we showed the scripture. God changed his mind. Glory to God. God changed his mind. And I explained this already. I do not understand every single thing about God Almighty. What I do understand is this. The Bible gives me examples and shows me that I as his child, I as his son, you as his son or as his daughter, you have an authority and relationship with him. Therefore, you can come to him in prayer and you can cause God to move. Say amen. I didn't make this stuff up. This is what God, look, God decides to inspire scripture so we can see how men have brought petitions petitions before him when he has made decisions. And you know what he's going to do? He is going to change his mind. He is going to turn. He's going to do things in a different way. That's what we see our God doing. Hello. We continue on in the stories and we look at these different prayers. You remember Hannah? Hannah was barren, didn't have any children. What does the Bible say? The Bible says she began to pray in agony of soul. Words could not even come out of her mouth because she was in such agony. And remember we learned this. We learned that obviously God allowed her to go through that agony of being barren, of being ridiculed, all of this stuff so he could get a profit out of that woman. Because she prayed and when she prayed she said, look, I'll give him back to you. God said, glory to God. I have a prophet that I'm going to be able to raise up in this nation. A prophet like no other came out of Hannah. And then we moved on and we saw another story here because we always think that God has to say yes to us when he doesn't. And you remember Daniel, you remember David when he prayed, 2 Samuel chapter 12, he slept with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, went through all of that stuff. And because the prophet Nathan comes and gives him this whole parable and says, you're the man. Well, what does he do? He goes in brokenness. His child gets sick. He goes before God fasting, praying, sackcloth, doesn't want to eat, comes before God. At the end of the time, then what happens? The scripture says that the child died, that David's servants didn't want to tell him. David figures out that he dies. David gets up. Pause for a moment because you realize David prayed, he agonized, he fasted, he was broken before God, and God still said no. Did did David lose faith? No. Remember what we learned? We learned something amazing. After David prayed, after he sought God, after he learned that the child had died, he does what? He goes into the temple, and the first thing he does, gives God worship. He said, all right, God, you're just. You said no, and it's fine. But it didn't stop there because the next portion of the scripture tells us then he went out of that place of prayer, fasting, brokenness, response from God, worship of God to then go and comfort his wife. So he goes in that spirit to comfort his wife. She gets pregnant with who? Solomon, whose name means peace. So what happens when you walk in brokenness before God, you walk in humility before him, when he responds yea or nay, you still give him worship, you have the peace of God upon you, you bring that to life, and then the beauty of it is God gives him another name, Jedediah, the one he loves, glory to God. So God shows us something in Solomon's life and says, look, if you just worship me, seek me, whatever I say until I answer, and then you give me glory, guess what? My peace, my blessing, I love that. 
That's what he wants to do in our lives. And so he shows us the example here. Not always yes, but God communicates what his will is. We see the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Remember we talked about this. Daniel's reading the word of God. Very simple, which is exactly what we should be doing. He's reading the word of God. He's seeing what the scriptures are communicating. And he gets down in brokenness before the Lord, humbles himself before God, prays the most powerful prayer, one of the most broken and awesome prayers that I've ever seen in scripture from a human being. And as he's praying this prayer, God does what? Gives him the greatest revelation of future events and like I said it last week atheists and people who hate God don't want to know anything about the Bible they hate that book because the only way that that book could be so accurate is if that person was born way after everything happened and they were telling it back and so the problem is they can't prove that the book was written later the book was written way back when so now they're stuck because while they hate God don't want to believe him they're stuck with a book that speaks about future events with such accuracy that they can do nothing but say well whatever we don't want to hear it it's powerful stuff for you to know because realize your Bible is powerful. And there are people that are confounded by it. They may not want to humble themselves to Almighty God. But they may not want to believe, but God is God. And he has proven and shown himself to be the all-knowing one, the one who knows the beginning from the end. You know, he, he's shown himself all of those ways. Daniel prays in that book, gives us a great example. As he prays and humbles himself before God, he's doing what he's asking. God, God, give me your direction. What's going to happen? What's going to occur? And God begins to speak to him about things that he didn't even expect God to talk to him. As we continue on, those are Old Testament examples of prayer and how God chooses to work through prayer. But we see the greatest example of a person of prayer is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When he is on the earth, the Bible continuously records that he was found alone in places of prayer. While everybody else was sleeping... Either early in the morning, sometimes late at night, Jesus was found separated with the Father, seeking the Father's face, seeking the Father's will, seeking the strength that only comes from Almighty God. And so Jesus gives us an example. We already talked about him teaching his disciples to pray. Not only does he give us a great example, he leaves us his great example, and his disciples take up the baton. Jesus ascends to heaven, and what do they do? They lock themselves in for a 10-day prayer meeting. Glory to God. They begin to seek the face of the Lord. Every time something goes on, read the book of Acts and you see the children of God, what do they do? Came back to the place of prayer. Came back to seeking God because God has chosen that as the vessel through which he's going to work in this earth. And then if you go to modern church history, you just read about all of the revivals and all of the things that have taken place. And you will find something that is always the common thing that is involved. And it is people who are people of prayer always going to be that way. And there's a reason for that. Because God will never entrust a true move of his spirit to a prayerless people. He seeks to impregnate and empower those who are prayerfully devoted to his will and purposes in the earth. I said it then and I'll say it again. God is not going to make history like that. And what do I mean? He is not going to decide to say, okay, let me find the most prayerless people. Let me find the ones who are not seeking me. And let me just pour my spirit upon them. That's one way God is not going to make history, church. He's given us a pattern. He's given us a pattern. And he's showing us this is the way that I've chosen to work. This is the way that I've worked throughout history. This is how I'm going to continue to work. And if I can find a people on this earth who will be seeking me, then you know what? I'm going to work the same way. Casual, self-centered prayer is not enough to bring forth revival, nor is it a worthy response to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Prayer shouldn't be just all about me and all about my feelings and all about what I'm going through. There's a time and a place for that, and I'm not telling you not to pray about your situation and your circumstance. I'm not telling you not to ask God to help you. I'm not. What I am telling you is do not get stuck there. 
Do not quit in that place where it's all about me and my problems. When you get stuck there, you're not moving into where God wants you to move in as a child of God. The second thing that we never got to last week or, or the week when I started preaching this is this. Please repeat this after me. God invites watchmen to give him no rest as they do not rest in seeking him in prayer. So we see here in the book of Isaiah, look at, book, look, look at Isaiah, we didn't turn from there, I told you the other scriptures, Isaiah chapter 6, look what he says, God says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day or night, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This is what God does. God tells him, he can, remember in, in, in the first verses, in verses 1 through 5, remember what God does? He gives his promise to Israel. He communicates to them, this is what I'm going to do. Again, his will in heaven and the earth, right? He's shown what his will is. This is what I'm going to do. And then he says, and I've appointed watchmen. I want you to know something. I've declared my will, but I've appointed watchmen. I've made my will clear, but I've appointed watchmen. In other words, watchmen have a responsibility. Watchmen are people who are prophets. In those days, it was a prophet. It was someone who was called to pray for the people, right, in the spiritual sense. Someone who was called to pray for the people to keep a watch. In the natural sense, there were watchmen. They had walls. You know, you, know, you hear about all of these different walls, right? Well, they had these walls, and they had people who were called watchmen. And what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to stand in their post, and they were supposed to watch at night and look out to make sure that there was no enemy trying to invade. There was no enemy trying to come in and trying to bring destruction trying to do things that were crazy, right? So what they were called as watchmen, whenever something was going to happen, they would make a noise, ring a bell, sound a horn, whatever it was they were supposed to do in order to awaken the people to let them know that calamity was coming. They would also communicate so they're watching and they're communicating to them. Well, in the spiritual sense, the watchmen were supposed to be the ones who were watching by the Spirit of God and seeking God's face, communicating with God, God showing them the plans of the enemy, showing them his purposes, and then what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to pray for the people, intercede for the people, and they were also supposed to communicate from God to the people. That's what these watching were supposed to do in those days. And, Jesus, and, and God says here, he says, listen, I have appointed watchmen. Now, this is very important for us because some of, you are, are, some of y'all are like in here, well, I'm not a watchman. I'm not a prophet, you know, anything like that. So where's my responsibility? Where, where does this apply to me? I'm glad you asked the question. Turn your Bible with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. Scripture we should all be very familiar with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. And actually we'll start in verse 12. And got to say so. And Paul says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. <clears throat> See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, the reason why I read this from the beginning portion there and the top there in verse 12, not necessarily the beginning, but it's because in here he said brethren. He didn't say leaders. He didn't say, and to the prophets among you, to those with a special calling, to those with a special level of sensitivity, to those with a special gift, that isn't what he said, to the intercessors among you, that isn't what he said. He said, brethren. In other words, everybody in the church who calls himself a Christian, this applies to you. Did you hear me? Everybody in the church, this applies to you. And what does he say? He says, pray without ceasing. Sounds pretty similar to the other. I'll read the other words to you because I know you, you didn't hold your place. I didn't tell you to. But he says this, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. They shall never, uh, you, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Do not give him, give him rest to, till, he, till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So look at what he, what, what, what he communicates. He tells them in the Old Testament, he says, watchmen, I've set you up here. Don't give me any rest. This is God. Do, do, do you hear what God is saying here? He is saying, you don't give me any rest. Here's the problem. You can't rest either. See, we, 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 we want to, like, record a message and just play it for God while we sleep. You heard? That's what we want to do. We, we, we want to record the message, okay, God already knows, and it's all good, and let me just, while I sleep, he can go ahead and hear this. No, no, no. Mm -mm. He says to them, and he tells us the same thing. He tells them in the Old Testament, he sets watchmen there who are called to pray without ceasing. In the New Testament, we as Christians called to pray without ceasing. What are we called to pray about? Well, we can take an example from those in the Old Testament. Those of the, the, the ones that are there were called to do what? We're called to remind God of his promises. Did you hear me? Remind God. Oh, what, what, what does God have? Have some kind of disease? He can't remember his own promises that he said? Is that the issue? No, that's not the issue. God, God, God has memory problems. He needs you to remind him every day, 100 times a day about these promises. No, you need to be reminded of those promises. Now, y'all didn't get it. It is not God that needs to be reminded of these promises. It is you that needs to be reminded of these promises. It is me that needs to be reminded of these promises. See, every time that I'm reminding him, I'm being reminded. Every time that I'm reminding him, it's being more solidified in me. See, God is not going to change. You know what happens is he's waiting for us to get to the place that we really believe the promise, the way that he said it, that we really believe what he communicates, the way that he meant it, that we really believe that what he said he meant and what he said he's going to do, he's going to do. He waits for us to get to that place to bring to Pass those things. Hello? It's not for us. It's not, it's not, he doesn't need a reminder. He needs us to be passionate and, and committed to these things. He needs us to be devoted to those things that he's declared. You see, it's interesting because when you read the New Testament, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians because I want you to look at this scripture with me because I think that this is a pretty amazing scripture in dealing with the topic of prayer. But the book of Ephesians chapter 6 is, is, is a scripture area that we should all be pretty familiar with. It's the area that deals with the armor of God. 
So Ephesians chapter 6, we all, we all should know this by heart and, you know, have this memorized because this is how we pray. We put on this armor and all of this wonderful stuff that God communicates. But Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, it says this. It says, finally, my brethren, again, brethren meaning everybody. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so the first thing we notice here, the apostle Paul is communicating, I don't want you to walk in your own strength. I don't want you to walk in your own ability. I want you to walk in a might that is greater than you. I want you to walk in the power and the might of God. I want you to walk in that power. We have an invitation, almost a command, to walk in a power that is beyond our own. And that doesn't just mean physical strength. That means spiritual strength. That doesn't just mean strength. That means wisdom. That means knowledge. That means God wants us to to walk in a power. He wants us to stand firm, not on our own abilities, but upon him. And so he says then in verse 11, how do we do this? Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the way we stand in his might is by putting on this armor, this whole armor, the whole armor of God, not part of it, the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against wicked, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And so obviously standing is a very important thing here, right? Amen? He's communicated standing a few times. We've seen this word that is being repeated here because we are supposed to be standing. We're not supposed to be stumbling. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be standing. We're not supposed to be falling. We're supposed to be standing firm in some things. And so the way we do that is by putting on this armor. We're supposed to stand firm in the Lord. We're supposed to be strong in him in the power of his might. Verse 14 says, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we'll deal with the armor on another occasion. That's not the point that, that I'm bringing you here. But you see that God puts all of this emphasis, right, on this armor. Through Paul, he's saying, put on this armor. He gives you all of these pieces of this armor. But then he goes on in the next verse here, and he says there in verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Now, hold on a second. In the book of Isaiah that we read there, God tells the children of Israel, I've set watchmen on your walls, right? Right? Amen? Okay. I've set watchmen on your walls. In other words, these people are going to cry out to me day and night. They're going to pray. They're going to remind me of my promises. They're not going to give me rest until my will is established, until I have completed that which I declared I would do. That's what they're going to do. That's what their job is. We move into the New Testament. God tells us to put on this armor. Remember, you know, these watchmen, obviously, they would have had some type of armor on. I would imagine they would be those. They wouldn't just be standing there. If an enemy was trying to, you know, kill them in some way, shape, or form, they'd have to be protected to some level. So what does God do? God goes on ahead, communicates to us in the New Testament as Christians. He says, listen, put on this full armor that you will be able to stand. But here's the thing that, that just stood out to me when I was looking at this. It tells us that we need to put on this full armor or this armor that that is full of God in order for us to be able to stand and resist evil schemes and the evil one. But my question is this, is the armor what enables us to stand or is it what enables us to pray? Is it just that the armor enables us to stand 
or does the armor empower us to pray? I'm going to say both. Because you cannot stand unless you are in prayer. Hear me. You will not be standing unless you are in prayer. But here's the reason why I ask the question. If you look at your Bible, you're going to notice something. And now, mind you, they put commas and all of this stuff in there to kind of separate things out for us. They weren't there in the original text, so that we already know. But here's what I want you to do for a moment. Look at what it says here in verse 14. It says this. It says, stand therefore, right? There's a comma in my, in my Bible here. Now, now just, just pause. Now, we're going to do this because, you know, when you have that comma, it, like, brings in other material, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, look at that, stand there for, go past the rest of verse 14, go past the rest of verse 15, go past, you see, if you passed all of this stuff, right, and you just connected the one thing, therefore stand, connected to verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So here's what happens. If I'm not in prayer, if I'm not in prayer, I'm not standing. I can't stand without the armor of God. But where is it that God wants me to stand? On a street corner? He wants me to stand for righteousness wherever I am. But understand this. He wants me to stand in prayer. He wants me to be a person who stands in prayer. So what does this armor do? This armor that he speaks of enables me to do what? To stand in the most important place that any child of God can stand. In prayer. In prayer. This is where we are called to be. In prayer. Prayer must be a primary focus in the life of the believer. One of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to keep us stuck in the rut of inconsistent prayer. What do I mean by inconsistent prayer? Prayer that truly doesn't hold to the promises of God and definitely is not reminding God of his promises. Hear me. The place where the enemy wants you. If he has you there, he has you exactly where he wants you. If you're the kind of person that prays one day a week, then he got you right where he wants you. Did you hear what I just said? I know, I know. Well, well Bishop, you're saying I got to be religious? No, I'm saying you need to be consistent. You can call it religious if you want to. I'm saying you need to be consistent. Would, would, you, would you say I'm saying you're religious? I, I love using this example. Would you say that I'm saying that you're being religious because I say you got to eat every day? Hello, somebody. Oh, you're just religious. You have to eat every day three times a day. You're religious. You're just religious. You're crazy. No, that would be being smart. Hello, somebody. If you're eating the right stuff three times a day, healthy too. Amen. Hallelujah. I know during the holidays it hasn't been so healthy. Glory to God. But it tastes good, right? Hello, somebody. Hallelujah. Thank God everything is sanctified by prayer and thanksgiving. Amen. Hallelujah. When it comes to food, praise the Lord. But if I was, if, if, if I were to tell you that, you, that's not being religious. It's the same thing with our prayer life. We want to pray one day a week. You know, let, 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 me, let me explain something to you. This, this, this is the biggest thing that you've got to realize. There should be something bringing you into prayer. Did you hear me? There should be something drawing you into prayer on a daily basis. There, and, and it shouldn't just be the problem you're going through. Some of us, I'm, I'm going to let you know, some of us have to have problems in order to pray. Some of us without problems, we would not seek God. Some of us, if we didn't have situations going on, we would never find the time to pray. 
This is just real. But something, see, because when we're going through hardship, you know what, you know what happens when we're going through a hard time, when we're going through difficulty? Man, when we get to our wit's end, you know what we end up doing? Man, we end up just breaking down before God and just, God, I need you. God, I need your help. God, I know you can deliver me. God, what? And we go through all it broken, and then you know what happens? After we're done praying, the peace of God usually floods our life, right? Praise God, I got that off my chest. I feel better. I should have came here first instead of complaining to 20 other people. Hallelujah. Trying to get answers from them. Right? It happens to all of us. Not, 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 not just you. It happens to all of us. Should have came to God first. Should have, we, we go into his presence and we seek him. But you know what should be happening? Here's, here's what God is looking for, church. God is looking for people who don't have a problem but have a consistent prayer life. Let me say it again. God is looking for people who don't have a problem but have a consistent prayer life. And I'm not talking, and, and, and forgive me if this offends you, I'm not talking about some weak, wimpy prayer life just coming from, well, I'm consistently before God five minutes a day. Listen, read your Bible. Forget what Bishop says. Read your Bible. Look and see how many of those prayers that are really consistent and broken and all, were like five minutes. You, you may be able to read them in like two minutes, but these people were broken before their God. These people were, and when you see those prayers, you know what I've learned? That some of the shortest prayers that are in public are the product of long prayers in private. See, these people that you see praying, that prayed for five minutes, that was five minutes in public. They were broken before God in private for hours, for days, for months. You got a guy like Daniel, 21 days broken before God Almighty. That's serious. That's a serious burden. And so what's the issue is that we need to become a people that don't come to God because we have problems, but we come to God because we have promises. Would you hear me? We need to become a people that come to God not because we have problems that need to be fixed, but, we, but because we have promises that have yet to been actualized in our lives. That we have promises that we have yet to see not within our lives alone, but within the lives of those around us. Because we have promises that have yet to been manifested within the lives of those that we know within our society. That's what should be driving us to prayer. Prayer has to be a primary thing in the life of a believer. The third thing, and we're almost done here. Repeat this after me. God's people should be driven in prayer by present needs and future hope. When you look at this portion of Scripture in Isaiah, and you don't have to turn back there, but you'll find there after those verses that talk about the watchman on the wall, God begins to communicate again what he's going to do, talks about the future. And so he gives them a future hope. So as a believer, we take an example from that, and we realize that we should be driven in prayer because of present situations, because of present needs, not just our own, but because of the needs of those that surround us. Our hearts must be moved with compassion as our spirits are touched by the Lord. Lord through his word and by his spirit. The greatest partnership church that we have with the Lord begins in our prayer closet. Every other purpose that he has for our lives should be born there. Every other purpose that God has in us, every other thing that God has, every, every single decision that we make should be born in a prayer closet. Listen, I'll, I'll give you my personal testimony just really quickly. Before we started Faith Thumb Fellowship, man, I was youth pastoring, and I had a great heavy burden for the youth ministry. All, all the years that I was a Christian, I always was passionately broken about the young people. And then as I continued ministering, suddenly something changed inside of me, and I was like, man, God, what is going on with me? I don't understand what's happening inside of me. And you know what I did? I started searching my heart. I said, man, am I in sin? I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I mean, what, what, is, what is going on here? Because I'm... 
I'm, I'm, I, you know, I still have a passion to see people saved. I still have a desire to preach, but there's something that shifted in my heart. And as that began to happen, what I did was I started praying and looking at myself, and then I was like, man, I got to take this to the next level. And that was the first time in my life that I ever went on like a really long fast, just water, hello, glory to God. And I was working, I never forget, I was working outside in the heat. It was summertime, and I was like, man, I got to do this. I got, I went on, and I don't say this to both, so please don't take this the wrong way. Man, I went on a 21-day fast, just water. 21 days. And I remember being out there, man, ready to pass out in the sun. As I'm, I, I was locating cables at that time. And I don't know, I was hallucinating. Hello, somebody. But, you know, I'm out there, and I'm seeking God, and I'm praying. And, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm crying out to God because I'm like, man, I don't want to make any decisions in my flesh. I don't know what is going on with me. Began to see God, and that's when the vision of faith don't begin. And, and when I say the vision, I'm going to tell you like this. I didn't see a vision of a church. I just had scriptures that God began to give me. That was it. I had scriptures that God began to speak to my heart about the pleasing God, and these things started to burn in my heart. Then we went on a youth camp. I, I'll never forget the youth camp, the most amazing time I've ever had in the Lord in my life. Went on this youth camp. The power of God, glory of God manifested, and it was like that was to me, that was like the, the, the serenading ceremony. God said, all right, son, you've done your job. Now move on. And I was still struggling with this. I was still going through whatever I was going through. But I continued on in prayer. My wife and I, we continued on seeking the face of God, saying, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? And the Lord began to order our steps and began to direct us. But the point of the matter is that when we're going through hardship, when we're going through difficulty, no matter what it is, if it's about ministry, if it's about life in general, if it's a work situation, don't be so quick to move. Hear me? When I say move, what I mean is don't be so quick to move out of the position that you are to do something else. Because when you do that, you need to make sure that God is the one who is ordering those steps. Amen, somebody? We need to be sure that God is the one that is directing us, that God is the one that is leading us in everything, in every area. No matter what it is, whatever we're going, needs to be born in prayer. In prayer, that we are a people that are in partnership, that are in intimacy with God, that are seeking the face of the Lord for his will to be manifested in the earth. You see, when we look at all of the situations that are going on around us, when we look at the present condition of the church, when we look at the present condition of our society, all of those things should move us into prayer. Hear me. Let me give you some examples here. When we look at the condition of our society, what, what do we see in our society? When we look at society, we see a lot of stuff. The biggest thing is they're deceived. Did you hear me? Now listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, that didn't offend you. Amen? If you're not a Christian, then that may have offended you, but that wasn't my intention. The reality is that our society is deceived. I had a conversation with someone the other day, you know, trying to do my evangelistic conversations and making sure that I'm doing my job. And so I have a conversation with someone the other day. The person communicates to me that they believe that we are all gods. We are all gods. Jesus is God. Jah is God. Buddha is God. And I'm God. Now listen, that's what this person believes. The question is, where do they get that belief from? That's what's the important question for them. And so I'm, I am sincerely and passionately praying for this person because I will have other opportunities to share with them. But the fact of the matter is they are deceived. So when you look at society, I give that as an example because the reality is that is most people. They don't necessarily believe that we are gods, but many people believe there's other ways to get to the Father other than Jesus. False. They believe that their good works are good enough for them to get into heaven. That's not true. 
They believe that they can do enough good things in order to remove the wrath of God for their life. That's not a fact. They believe that all religions, right, lead to the same place. Not true. There's one religion that leads to heaven. Every other one of them leads to hell. I know. That's tough. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus. But you have to understand something. There is one way, and that is him. And so any other allegiance to any other God is not truth. But our society, bound in deception. Should that move you to prayer? I think so. It should move us to brokenness because they're deceived. And you know what? All of those people that are deceived, if they die, guess where they're going? They're going to hell. There's no getting out of there. There's no turning around. That is a one-way ticket. And so what we should do, there's no purgatory, man. <laughs> I love you, Jameek. I don't know where that, 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 I don't even know where that term even came up from. That's not, like, that's nowhere even in our Bibles, man. I know, I, see, I don't ask you, see, they're crazy. I'm like, glory to God. They're telling me, I, I, I know who believes it, glory to God. I'm just asking where they got the belief from, because they supposedly got it from our Bible. But I don't, anyway, glory to God. It could be, I don't know. They're deceived. Not only are they deceived, they're rebellious. This is our society. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear you tell them, listen, the biggest thing nowadays is to just be politically correct. Just accept what everyone believes, right? Hello. Just, it, it's all good. It's, it, no, no, it's not all good. You are a light in the midst of darkness. So when darkness comes to overshadow you, you need to be like, hold on a second. Bright light, bright light right here. Glory to God. Hello. You need to make sure people understand the truth because blood is going to be on your hands and my hands if we do not communicate this. Do you understand that, church? So we are called to be the light. So we can't just be like, well, whatever. Whatever they, no, no, no. Our society is rebellious when it comes to the truth. Our society is morally blind. Morally blind. They're blind. Morally they understand, you know, family's cool, you know, and, and, and there's certain things that you don't do, right? This, this, this is their moral blindness. There's certain things you don't do. You know, I had, I had a conversation with someone one, one day, and they were telling me about this. They, this I'm, I'm going to give you the exact story. This is exactly what happened. One person disrespected this other person, right? Now, here, now stick with me in this story. This person, person A, here, Pastor Chad, come here. I'm going I'm to make a visual for them, right? Come here. Come here. Stand, stand right here. Stand right here. I'm going to be the deceived, rebellious person, morally corrupt, okay? He's just the offender. He disrespects me, threatening in some way, shape, or form not to hurt, right? Just, you know, said something that was disrespectful toward my daughter. This is the story. Now, because you disrespected my daughter, I love my daughter so much. I care for her so much. What I'm going to do, I'm going to kill you to prove how much I love her. The result will be I'm going to go to jail and be separated from my daughter, wishing every day that I could be with my daughter, but I have a moral reason. He disrespected my daughter. I got to man up. You see the blindness? Praise the Lord. Give God a hand of praise for our brother, the offender. I'm the idiot. He was the offender. Glory to God. Here we go. 
So we see they're morally blind. This should bring us to prayer. Well, let's look at the church for a moment because I don't just want to talk about the world, but I want us to look at the church because you look at the church, what's the condition of the church? Well, obviously we know the church is not perfect. Okay, we understand that. But when we look at the church, for centuries we have been divided. Did you, did you notice that? When you, when, you, when you drove to church today, you realize how many churches you drove by? You realize that? If you really dig a little bit deeper, you will find that there's a whole bunch of different denominations of what? Division. So that should, why should that motivate you? Well, it motivated Jesus. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Hello, somebody. He prayed against division, so obviously that should move us. The, the, the reality is that we're not only divided um, denominationally, we're divided doctrinally, and now, nowadays, we're divided in our purpose. We want to help everybody. We want to help the hurting. We want to we do this. We do, and all of those things are good, but we have forgotten our main objective and purpose on this earth is to bring salvation to those who do not know Jesus. Hear me, but we're divided. So when we look at the church, we see division. As a result of the division, we lack in power. We're not powerless because we have power. We see people being saved. We see people being changed. We see things happening, but we don't see the glory of God like we see in the Word of God. We don't see the glory of God like we've seen in past moves of the Spirit. We don't see that. We see touches of God. We see touches here, touches there. We see sprinkles of His glory, but we don't see the full manifestation of His kingdom. And so that church should move us to the place of prayer. You have some people in the church, they're way legalistic. Everything is sin. Everything is wrong. You can't do anything. You just got to be a miserable person to be a Christian. Right? Legalistic. And then you have the other person over here, totally liberal. I know you guys don't want to be the liberal ones. You guys want to, you know, so whatever. Legalistic, liberal, whatever. This is the condition of the church today. That should move us to prayer, church. That should move us to becoming a people of prayer. In closing, I want to say this. The present condition of the church should move us. The present condition of the world should move us. It should bring us to that place where we are praying to God in an unceasing manner. Praying unceasingly until God intervenes in his mercy and brings a great awakening, or God responds in judgment, we should, should settle for nothing less. We either get a move of God where his spirit manifests, where his glory is revealed, or we see the judgment of God. One or the other. We need to be those who decide we're not going to settle. For, this is the church. This is what we are supposed to be. And I'm going to give you a last scripture to go to, and it's First Peter. First Peter chapter, I mean Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Verse ten, when you got to say amen. I'm sorry, we're starting verse one. It says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, 
that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they are from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, can you notice a couple of things in this scripture here? The first thing is that the apostle Peter is writing and he says that he is writing this second epistle to them. He's trying to stir up their love, trying to stir up their hearts so that way they can have the right mind. And as he goes through all of this, he, he again confirms what the Apostle Paul says. In these last days, there are going to be people that are going to be scoffers. In other words, they are going to be those who are going to mock you. There are going to be those that are going to make fun of you and be like, what do you mean you're waiting for the coming of the Lord? What's that all about? You need to worry about today. Don't worry about that there. They've been saying that for years. The church has been communicating the rapture is about to happen forever. There's people that have been communicating that. There's people that will tell you that and cause you to doubt your faith and all of this type stuff. But listen, you don't need to listen to that because the Apostle Peter said it was going to happen. And this is a way long time ago. And so we should be encouraged. This is what he said was going to happen. But as he goes on to say these things, he communicates that there is a judgment that is going to happen. He makes this distinction. He says, they forget. These scoffers, these mockers, these ones, they forget something. That by this very word that promises this coming, by this word, is what holds everything in position. It is this word that holds everything in its place. So just as sure as everything is in its place, the same way that when you throw something up, it's going to come down. The same way that you see those things, the same way that that happens, is the same exact way that his coming is going to occur. So you don't know when it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. They forget that. But he goes on to say, listen, God is patient. But look who he's patient with. Because we automatically want to say he's patient for them out there. That's not what the scripture said. Look at what the scripture said. Because a lot of times we sit in here and we hear messages like this. We're like, oh, that's for somebody else. No, church. Look at what he says here in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us. Another translation says he is long-suffering toward you. Wait a second. He's being patient with us. He's being patient with us, his people. He's not being patient for, he's being patient with us. He's waiting for us to get right. He's waiting for us to submit our hearts. He's waiting for us to align ourselves with him. He says that he is, he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, that who should perish? Us. 
not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That all of us that are called children of God would come to repentance, that we would recognize the condition of the church, that we would recognize the condition of the world, yes, but that we would also recognize us as being a part of whatever condition is going on and that we would repent, that we would turn, that we would acknowledge that we are not as righteous as we think we are, that we have not arrived as we think we have, that we are not walking on clouds like we think we are, hello, but that we would recognize that the issue lies with us, with us, that we have to do business with Almighty God and come before him with hearts that are broken, hearts that are submitted. That's why he's being patient, church. It's for us. Let's all stand to our feet.